Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Technically, we've already seen each other today. Well, via Zoom anyway, but it's still good morning. It's still morning time. It is still morning, but I have to tell you that we had such a good, um, we did a podcast recording early this morning and it was so good. And now I feel pumped up. I know it was so good. It's a little Easter egg, but the woman that we interviewed this morning, she was just, I've never met another me before. And I felt truly kismet in her story. Um, and I don't know, I'm just really excited for you guys to hear all about her. She wrote this beautiful and incredible miscarriage guide from the perspective of a woman who has been through lots of them and still has not had a biological child. So it was very moving for me and I cried a lot. And I think Aaron, actually, you might've cried the most out of all of us. I think I did. I was weeping throughout the entire conversation. Many, many times I found myself dabbing my eyes and thinking, I don't know, are other people going to feel like this? Because this is big feelings. Big feelings. Lots of big feelings. So anyway, a little Easter egg for an episode coming out in a couple of months. Um, But in the meantime, on the podcast today, we have an incredibly inspiring woman by the name of Ellie Gentile. It was truly an honor to get to talk to her and hear her story. I've actually known Ellie loosely, I guess. I mean, she lives here in the same town that we live in, and she um, is kind of a pillar, I would say, in the marketing, news, um, journalism side of our city of Pensacola. And so to actually have a few minutes to really get to talk to her was truly incredible. Um Ellie is a stage three cervical cancer survivor who will eventually go down the path of gestational surrogacy and or adoption. And she graciously shared her journey with us in the hopes of helping other women spot cancer warning signs before they make it to the stage that she was in. So anyway, anything you want to add to that, Erin? No, just to remind everybody, that means that she is young. She was under like right around 30 when she got her diagnosis, which altered her entire life's course. Yes. Um, Not just because of cancer, but because of the fact that she had not had children. And that was something that she had to then immediately start thinking about. So our conversation is about a lot more than just having cancer as if that's not enough, right? (laughs) Just having cancer, but then like the compounding effects of that. So I do, I hope people enjoy it. It's going to be great. It was another big feelings conversation. Definitely. So you guys enjoy. guys, we just wanted to put a quick disclaimer in here that we were having some issues with our audio. So it's a little rocky, but if you bear with us, you'll hear a beautiful episode. Thanks. Welcome, Ellie. Hi, guys. I'm really excited to be here. I was telling Aaron and Brian, this is my first podcast. Um, So it's just really exciting. And I'm excited for the fertility resort and everything they're doing for all the women out there going through some hard times. So I'm just excited to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) We're really excited to hear you. Um, We met Ellie because she is, tell me exactly your role now with Local Pulse. You're a partner now with it, right? Yes. So just recently they made me a partner. Um, So we're good news website and I'm a managing editor. So we just write about all good news things, and then hyper-focus on small businesses in Pensacola. So I love it. It's awesome. And I got to write about Bryant, or yes, Bryant and Aaron in um, in their fertility resort and the whole, how they got started. So it was awesome. And it really resonated with it. And weirdly enough, I actually met them at 
my I met Brian at my cancer free party. And then I met Erin when I was going through my well post treat post cancer treatment doing um oh my gosh, my mind's blanking, doing acupuncture there. So yeah. it kind of came full circle, which is awesome. <laughs> we did come full circle, didn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. So pretty cool how the world works like that sometimes. And I was a little bit grateful that we got to meet you in that other way because because of HIPAA. I'm not allowed to talk about the fact that I had already known you. So I always have to wait for someone else to disclose mm-hmm. that we met in the clinic because legally yeah. I'm not allowed to do that. So when people are like, oh, how do you know her? I'm like, ah, just around. I just yeah. know who she is. So I'm glad that you're disclosing it and we can talk about it that way. Yeah, it's awesome. And I was just happy I already knew you guys. It made everything very organic, writing about the fertility resort. So that was just really cool. And I want you to recognize that you will always be the first person who ever published anything about us. Yay! (laughs) You're our first print media ever that we didn't do for ourselves. So you're the first. I love that. That's awesome is it's a, it seems like this has a, been a kismet journey so far definitely um so ellie we would love to hear your story as much or as little as you would like to share um from the beginning how you got here your journey yeah yes. and if so, you don't mind start yeah. out with your age because i think that's partly yes. what makes your story so significant is that you're a very young lady Definitely. So I won't, I mean, I could probably spend a whole day getting, going to how I got here, but I'll make the diagnosis in the beginning part really short. Um, but it was six months after my 30th birthday. So it was 2020, March, 2020. So COVID had just started and um, that started in March. And then in April, I kind of started getting some symptoms that weren't necessarily too concerning and just so everybody um, I had stage three cervical cancer so how I figured that out is where I'm starting from but um I started getting some symptoms that weren't necessarily too alarming you know some like while I was sleeping some discharging things I was gaining weight and in hindsight I definitely shouldn't have been gaining weight, but you just attribute it to turning 30 and your age and you don't really think anything of it, but I was working out a lot. So in hindsight, it was kind of weird, but at the time you just, you don't, it's a very gradual changes in your body. And so then things like when I was sleeping, it was almost like, I was like wetting the bed and I was like, okay, something's going on. I'm going to call my doctor. And at this point, I'd seen an OBGYN three years prior and had a clean slate. So, and now I think they recommend like every three years you should go for my age anyway, like in your twenties at the time. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel like it could be anything that serious, maybe some kind of infection and then it was during COVID. So they did a teledoc appointment. Um, told them my symptoms. They're like, you have an BV infection. Here's some antibiotics. So went through the antibiotics. Everything kind of got a little bit better. Fast forward a month. I started getting some pretty serious back pains, um, lower back pains. So I called my doctor back and this is just like my general practitioner. I hadn't contacted an OBGYN yet. Um, and they were like, well, let's come in. We'll do a urine test. So we did a urine test and I had a double kidney infection. So it's like, okay, no wonder my back's hurting. This is all making a lot of sense. Went through about two and a half, three weeks of antibiotics. Everything got a little bit better. <laughs> and then fast forward three weeks after that. So now we're almost in July at this point. Um, and again, it's all during COVID. So it's very hard to go see a doctor or even get an appointment. Almost everything was over the phone. So um, 
fast forward and then everything comes back like times a million. My back pains, my legs are hurting. I am like almost like peeing my pants when I'm sleeping. Um, and then my boyfriend and I had sex. And again, this is probably going to be TMI, but I'm so used to talking about it, but it's just- There's no TMI in protected space. <laughs> it's just like, it doesn't bother me anymore. Um, but so we had sex and I like started bleeding everywhere. And I wasn't on my period and I was like, okay, there's something seriously wrong. I need to go see a gynecologist like yesterday. So I called around town. It was the like really good gynecologists were super hard to get into like month, month long waiting list. And I was like, I don't have time for that. So I won't share the doctor's name that I went to, but um, I ended up getting an appointment about three days later. So I went in, like I've been Googling my symptoms, which you're not supposed to do, <laughs> but everybody does that. So I kind of was thinking cervical cancer at that point, but not a very like advanced stage of it. Maybe I would get something cut out. So the test results came back. There was no infections. So then they were like, okay, come in like today so we can do a pap smear. Pap smear was super painful, which they're never comfortable, but they shouldn't be like super painful. Um, so, and it was extremely bloody, um, which again is not normal. And at that point, the OBGYN was like, let's, I'm just going to go ahead and do a coloscopy where they kind of like clip a piece of your cervix so they can send it off to testing. So then she did that and that was even like worse. And so painful and again, I'm doing this all by myself because nobody can come with me. And I'm wearing my mask and my I can't even see my doctor. I can't see any of these nurses. So it's just very impersonal, the whole thing. You don't even feel like you know who you're talking to. Um, and so That's those test results come back. With this, up to this point? Had they no, done? sorry, do you have a question? <laughs> I feel like I've been talking. I'm just curious. Did they do any blood work? Up okay. No blood work at all. So all I did done is that was the urine test, which okay. didn't show anything. So we done no blood work, nothing. And um, and so we did the pap smear. They sent it off to the labs, and then they called me in. And again, I went by myself. I wasn't really to get my results. I wasn't really thinking like I have anybody even drive me there. So I go in and um doctors like you have cervical cancer and it's pretty advanced um but you're young and you're healthy so I think you know I think you're going to be fine but the next stage um the sacred heart oncology department is going to call you and they're going to schedule you to come into the cancer center so then I was like she kind of just left me in the room to process <laughs> like just a waterwork sobbing like what like advanced cancer in the same sentence it's like you're just kind of it's like your worst nightmare well you don't hear anything after that no you don't and she asks, like, exactly right. if you have any questions and I'm like no I can't oh. hear anything else I can't think of yeah. anything else you just dropped cancer yeah so in advanced in the same sentence in the same breath you're alone so yeah and completely alone I didn't and then you know I go out like I think I just sat there for like 10 minutes just like crying and like just like you're just there waiting to wake up really and um and so I left there and I think I called my brother and told him but again at this point like I'm really not thinking it's I'm not thinking infertility no kids like I'm not thinking any of this at this point I'm literally just thinking I'm going to have like a surgery where maybe part of my cervix will be removed and then I'll move on with my life. So I think like a week goes by um, and then I go in to see my oncologist and they do a pelvic exam, which I was like <laughs> terrified of because I'd already done my pap smear, which was so painful. So I go in to get my pelvic exam and it is, and again, I'm all by myself. So my boyfriend and my mom drove me to this appointment and they're waiting in the car, um, just waiting for me to call them. So I do my pelvic exam and then this is when 
the oncologist was like, so cervical cancer bleeds a lot because she's basically like going in there to like get a full range of the size of the tumor on my cervix. So he is like in there, <laughs> like up the butt, a hole. Oh like, God. Yes. Like you oh. were just like, yeah, I just remember like laying there holding on to like the tears and there's nurses in there, but like, uh, it's just a surreal moment. And did God, they tell you any of that was going to happen? Like, did they give so, you any type of preparation? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So now I think with pelvic exams, you have to sign, you sign, you have to sign something before they can even do it. Basically saying like, cause now I think doing like a finger up the butt, whatever is like a full, that's part of a pelvic exam. So you have to sign some paperwork now. But I was not really told like it was not going to feel good or how long it would last. I mean, it was probably like a 10 to 15 minute ordeal, which when you're laying there like in pain, it feels like a lifetime. Um, so they finish and, um, and I get, and they're like, meet me in there, meet us in the conference room once you get cleaned up. So I see them and there's just like blood everywhere. And I'm just like, what? Uh, like, wow, this is like, I, there's, I, you're just terrified. And so then you go in this conference room and it's the oncologist and two nurses. And again, we're all in masks. So like, I just like, you can't see who's telling, like, you just feel like it's like a, it's not even a real person like telling you this mm -hmm. so I call my mom and my boyfriend in the car because it's like you know get them on the phone because you know I'll tell everybody what's going on at the same time and if they have questions so then it just drops it you have stage three cervical cancer um the tumor is about five centimeters which is I think like almost two inches five to six centimeters so he said, anybody else, I just would do straight radiation and chemo, but you're young and you're healthy. So a radical hysterectomy. And he's like, say like saying it like it's good news. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Like, that's my, that's the best case scenario here. And I just lost it. Because and stage three, just to confirm, stage three means it's still local. It hasn't spread yes. any other tissues. So they're thinking, okay, we don't want it to, and we want to protect you from any further cancer development. Yes. So we're going to take all of it out. Yes. Then you'll be safe. Exactly. So, okay. and so it's like, we're going to do a PET scan, you know, before this, just to make sure it hasn't spread anywhere else. Um, but he's like, I don't, like, you're kind of right at the cusp and we don't know if it's spread anywhere else yet but assuming it hasn't and so at that point we like literally schedule a radical hysterectomy and my mom is on the phone just like I mean I was waterworks but my mom I mean I almost like you almost have more I almost have like more sympathy for her because I mean you never want to hear your kid has cancer and then let alone like well be able to get pregnant or any of these things so obviously we do like ask some questions yada 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 we schedule my surgery um which was in like two weeks time and then oh at this point I was like well I haven't had kids yet so like what about and like I want to have kids so I mean is there he's like you will never be able to carry a child but I can leave your ovaries for you to do IVF and then, you know, he's like, there's a tons of ways people have kids now, like with surrogacies and stuff. So still you're just like, <laughs> like you never think in your life that that's gonna be your only option to obviously like adoption, but to have your own child would be surrogacy when it's never crossed your mind before. So, so he's saying, we'll leave the ovaries. So wait two weeks, I'm like prepping for this radical hysterectomy terrified we I get my do my pet scan it's the day before my surgery and my doctor calls my oncologist and said we can't do the surgery it's spread your lymph nodes so we have to do um you have to do radiation and chemo and so then it's just like another bombshell <laughs> then like mentally preparing for this surgery 
And then of course my first thought in my mom's was like, well, what about having, like, what about my eggs? Um, Cause radiation and chemo kills everything. And um, he said, well, I'm not comfortable starting your treatment. Like uh, this is the last date I'm comfortable starting it, which was about four weeks away. So he's like, if you can figure out how to, you know, do IVF in that time. And Brian, I'm sure, you know, like in what world do you get an appointment for IVF in like four weeks and get started on it? Like, but so I don't know in the world where somebody steps up and says, I think I'll call them myself and get you referred over there tomorrow. Right. Yeah. That's the world where that happens. So in my mind, cause he had told me to call people and I was like calling and it was like, no luck. And then I ended up getting a call from an IVF um, office here in town and it was the doc, the IVF doctor. And he said, um, your oncologist called me and he told me your situation and I want to get you in here like today. Let's try and get some eggs. And I like finally some good news, right? And I don't know exactly what's, if it's going to work or whatever, but I was just happy that he even called me. Um, so I go in, I start my, um, I go in, I have this appointment with the doctor. I've never been to IVF office before in my life. And my boyfriend got to come with me to this, which was really nice. It was the first like doctor's appointment since I got diagnosed where somebody could come with me. But I mean, we got to get all this done in one, one sit, figure out like what I'm doing and my freezing embryos. And my boyfriend wants to freeze embryos and like, we're not married. I'm like making all these decisions, life-changing decisions. So like, I'm, so that I'm just like feeling all these pressures. I don't know. And I had how, literally, sorry. How long have you and boyfriend been together while this is happening? We've been together about three and a half years. So it's a long a time. Okay. Yes. And the, so the IVF doctor is, you know, pushing the embryos um which I understood and the money part wasn't really that part wasn't really a factor in any of it because I think it's a little more expensive to do the embryos than the eggs um but I just like wasn't ready to make that decision so I'm like what if we do break up like I'm just have your babies <laughs> for the rest <laughs> of my life like these are gonna be my only eggs so I ended up doing, um, I ended up freezing a, or saying I just wanted to freeze my eggs. So we did like, as long as I could do my shots, we did it, which I think was like, we did it like 11 days in my, nothing was really happening. The eggs weren't forming like, and all of this is a result of my cancer. Like it's just messing everything up. So in hindsight, when I was saying like I was gaining weight, the double kidney infection, the BV infections, the IVF taking a very slow, slow take, this is all because of the cancer, which I didn't, don't think I realized then, but that's why all these things were happening to me. Um, so we go through the like I think it was like 11 days of shots and it's, we can't do them anymore. And um, I go in for my last appointment and they're like, you have like, you have four, what do they call them, Brian? Follicles. Follicles, yes. You have four follicles that like maybe are mature enough, which I think in an average go women would get eight to 12 maybe um if you're healthy I don't know correct me if I'm wrong I think that's would be more of like a normal number so they're like do you still want to do this because <laughs> like it's still because the cost part and I'm just like sobbing I'm like I mean yeah like I went through this much like four would be better than nothing but at that point you don't even really know if you're going to get them or not or if they're going to become eggs or be healthy but so I did my IVF then um we got I got three eggs so two mature eggs and one immature egg yay and then um the next day I 
went and had my port put in. And then the next day after that, I started chemo and radiation. So like, bam, 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 three days, like literally three days in a row. <laughs> so it was a very emotional time. <laughs> But yeah, that's, that's kind of that's just, I'm a little stunned and I've already heard the story and it's still kind of shocking. Yeah. I, I feel like every time I tell somebody they're like, they have the same reaction. I think maybe I've just lived it. So I'm not, I'm almost numb to it all now, but. Well, it definitely like, gives you serious, like what the fuck vibes. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. What? what? How? So many, what? Yeah, Definitely. Um, and so I did my, I did 30 rounds of external radiation, six rounds of cisplatin chemo, and then five rounds of brachytherapy, which is basically like internal radiation where they show something up and it's not very fun, but, um, I found out as of recent, so I'm three year, October will be three years cancer free. So yeah it's really exciting and I feel great and I just had my first normal pap smear about three months ago so when did you actually have surgery so I've never had surgery oh no no so after you do chemo after you do that much radiation so basically everything inside of me like my uterus my fallopian tubes half of my my cervix basically it's all just scar tissue from the radiation it basically just burns everything so once it turns into scar tissue it's not it's not a, really an option to do surgery unless it came back then they would probably take everything out but cutting through scar tissue is just not fun and it, like right after your body goes through all that basically it's like it's just too much on your body yeah. So unless it were to come back, they won't take anything out. Which I think is that's when I great. met you. Yeah. Yes. Like I met you when you had finished all of that. Yes. And we were working on, you know, dealing with it. Just dealing getting with it. Everything. Yes. And like sex is, I mean, and then I, so and then I started menopause about a month after I finished treatment. And then I, and I think that's when I came to you too. And I was like, sex was not a, really a thing for me anymore because <laughs> everything up there so there's the menopause factor which like when you're dealing with sex which is like you know the the vaginal walls are just thinner but then at the top of my cervix like the bottom where my cervix is like that was just all like burned and painful so there was it I was just trying to like, and I could never like relax or anything. So when it came to anything intimate, so yeah, I was just dealing, yeah, trying to deal with that. And I came to you to try to maybe help with like hormones and figure out like how, am I, like, this is what it is now. Like, how am I going to make this work? So are you some sort of sense of normalcy now? Like, how do you? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm past this part now. What? So Yeah crazy story but that is a shortened version of the craziest like nine months of my life which is weird too so and I, like it wasn't even a year long from like diagnosis to finishing treatment wow just, are you and boyfriend still together yes we are that's cool <laughs> we're actually going to italy on friday oh my oh, god that's right you got the italy thing yeah. Apparently everybody got like got invited by the universe to go to Italy this year and I didn't get an invitation. And I know like a half a dozen people that are on their way to or from Europe as we speak. And I was like, Ellie, how come nobody invited me on this European expedition? I know. I'm just joining the rest of the world that is in Italy right now. <laughs> I think it's a good plan. Sounds like yeah. you need a trip to Italy. Exactly. Exactly. I know. So, so I, I feel like, and I don't know, it's funny, um, Aaron and I have like a speaking coach that we use whenever we're pitching or whatever. And he made a comment to me that every time I talk about trauma, I laugh. Yeah. And is that, do you find that 
for yourself too, because it doesn't even feel like it's me when I'm talking about it. Like, I don't even feel like, oh, it's just, what no, it, I, it doesn't feel real. Like it happened to me. I don't know. I totally resonate with that. Cause I'm the same, like I'm sitting here talking and like, I'm smiling and like, yeah, I'll laugh about it. And I don't, you know, I have cried about it plenty, but it is still like, I don't know, I guess we're talking, talking about it in a way that's not so like sad or not feeling it as deep anymore. makes it feel like it's not as real or something. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's it. I or like it happened to somebody else. Like it wasn't me. I don't know. I. Well, it's almost like it's a TV show. It's like yeah. it's an out of body thing. Like it was just happening, and I was just observing it because I wasn't really even in charge. I was yeah. Just and that's what's weird. Like it happen. Feel it really when you're going through it. You just have to get through it day by day, and like so you just don't think about it, and then it all ends, and then you're like, holy shit, what the what just happened right so I think now to almost like three years out I've done a lot of the healing work I mean but you never it's like grief you never really know when it's gonna hit you or when you're gonna feel something about it like Brian I'm sure you can resonate with that like there's just random times where you'll I'll see a pregnant girl or something and I'm like and that someone will let her go first in the grocery line or something. And I'm like, wow, I never get, that's never going to happen to me. Yeah. Cause no one I'm never going to be pregnant. So it's like weird things like that, where then all of a sudden, like I go home and I'll cry for 30 minutes and then I'm fine. But like, you don't, it's things like that, that you don't realize you'll grieve over. For sure. You know, it's mm -hmm. weird. And it's like, when you almost think in situations like this, like we're talking right now, like, I should be crying, shouldn't I? But I'm not. Right. It's at a completely random moment in time where you all of a sudden get triggered. And it mm -hmm. there's no impetus for it all, like at least for me sometimes. Like it literally just happens out of nowhere. Like I could even yeah. like I'll be listening to a podcast. It's not about pregnancy or infertility or something, and somebody's talking about their kid or like a school drop off or something, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, you just don't know when it's going to slap you across the face. But um, so I don't know. It's, I'd like to say, like, I'm very much dealt with a lot of it and healed from it. But I mean, I think that because when you're grieving, like, the loss of eggs or the loss of your fertility, and um, it's just a real thing, it's a real grief. I, I don't know. How to explain it like even what was so my I just went to one of my friend's baby showers and so again this at this point in my life like all my friends they're getting married they're having baby showers gender reveal parties and I'm getting menopause pamphlets in the mail and dilator kits it's like what <laughs> in the world it's like, what's the apple? you can't talk about it with anyone because nobody gets it. It's like, I mean, you can, yeah. you can be that person, at least for me, that brings it up. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. I don't want to like no. feel their joy and I want to be there for them and, you know, experience it. Exactly. And it's not like you're not happy for them at all. It's not even anything to do with that. It's like, it's so hard to, it's hard to explain because you are really happy for your friends and for whoever, like, it's a, just like a trigger, I guess. I don't know. But it's like a trifecta in your situation, right? Because mm -hmm. to have cancer of any kind as a young person is is already like, oh, that's crazy. To yeah. become infertile as a result of it is a second layer. But yeah, then yeah. to also be menopausal at age 30 and yeah. essentially have like 20 years of what is supposed to be your normal life just taken away. That's like yeah. the trifecta of what the fudge yeah. just happened to me. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. feel like it takes years to really even grasp the levity of oh, all sure. of that. The gravity sure. of all that. Not the levity, the gravity yeah. of all of that. For Simultaneously. Sure. 
I mean, it's like my mom and I were like going through menopause at the same time. That's crazy. Yeah, we were really fun to be around. That's crazy. <laughs> That'd be a really funny TV show, though. Yeah, right. like, I would totally watch a TV show where like you and your mom were having simultaneous menopause. Yeah, because that's a I perspective mean, that most of us will never get. It's true. I mean, I don't know. Is it? It is when you think about it that way. And that's what it like, it's not, I mean, it's things I, I still think about it every day. I'm not crying every day about all of them, but certain things you remember like, oh, I'm going through menopause or, oh, I can't. And then again, like you said, like cancer, it's a very hard thing to grasp, but I think cancer is probably one of, probably every, almost everybody's biggest fear. So to know that I conquered one of my biggest fears also brings like a makes me feel like a badass in a lot of ways good yeah I can't have a baby or you know but I freaking be cancer so (laughs) not you know that's it's still mind-blowing to me I think Um, that's a great silver lining yeah just to look at it that way to be like okay well first of all I already did something it's like being an Olympian like I I already did something that most people will never experience and I did it as a young person and it was terrifying but I like I think that's an awesome way to frame it for yourself because there is the slightest little bit of empowerment that comes from it instead of just feeling like victimized well and that's you know what I have to like hold on to a lot of times so and it again like I can confidently say that like cancer wasn't one of my biggest fears, but I have been always been a very optimistic person. I feel like, I don't know, it helps. It definitely helps looking at it from that perspective. Well, it's amazing that Is you there- can look at it from that perspective. I think, mm-hmm. do you ever think back to a time, like, I feel like I catch myself all the time, like thinking about back to the person that I was before. And oh yeah. Like how different that person was and how naive that person was and just what life was like before it just seems yeah, like it's, a different person like I don't know same there's pre-cancer or for you like there's pre infertility whatever you like. infertility and and then there's Ellie post cancer right post infertility so definitely and everything I mean I definitely see things so here's this is kind of like an interesting thing I it took me a minute to get like figure out so to me like getting pregnant and like my uterus my eggs like all of those women parts that to me that was like my womanhood so it being like uh in hospitable uterus that's still sitting in me and all these things it was almost like my I felt like my womanhood was taken away from me I'm no longer desirable to a man or so I and that was just how I had always viewed like fertility really and like oh the woman's body like that's what you know that's what the woman body was like put on earth to do so I think getting you know and you that's kind of fucked me up for a while after like thinking like what this like this body is useless and I was like so mad at my body and I'm sure you've felt that before like so but then I got back to the point where I beat cancer so actually my body is amazing so it did that for me and womanhood is defined by so much more than that it's just it's defined by loss strength compassion love forgiveness like womanhood is it like all of those things wrapped up into it with a nice pretty bow and all things like true in your heart so getting to that I don't know getting to that realization like redefining womanhood which I think is something we you know as a society probably need to work on most definitely and I still think even again like just being so young being 30 yeah you're you're in the prime of all of that right like your boobies are not going to be juicier than they are when they're in your 20s and before you've had a baby. And so we identify so much with our youthful 
beauty and that whole like sexuality thing. And I think, you know, that's changing a lot for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. So I just love the idea of redefining womanhood as a young woman. Sure. Like there's just, we just need to start that from the get-go. It's not like, oh, now you're 50. What does womanhood mean to you now? Because now you're in menopause. Like, right. No, what does womanhood mean to you at 24? Yeah. Because it might not be the picture of maternity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How do you feel about being a cancer crusader? Do you have any inclination to be one of those? Like I did the cancer thing already and now I want to tell you about it. People. Um, I really want to write a book about my whole experience, but I, you would think like I would be more, but not really. Like I'm very proud of myself and I, I think for me too, and this is not even, this is not a great way to look at it, but my cancer was, you know, if you'd have a cancer diagnosis and they're dealing with it mainly with radiation, which was mine, like I did do six rounds of chemo just because of the lymph nodes, but it was mainly to help the radiation work. And when it's, when you have a localized cancer, I mean, I almost like, I felt really lucky that it wasn't, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be a two year chemo thing for me, you know? So when it's localized, you know, it's like you have a better shot. So I feel like sometimes I don't have enough skin in the game, maybe to be like, I just know like so many people that have had it, like who have cancer, have had cancer, had it so much worse than me that I don't even feel like, yeah, like I said, like have enough skin in the game to even be a huge like help or advocate, which is a silly way to look at it completely. But I don't know if that makes sense. It totally does. It's actually like an interesting topic that Aaron and I talk about when it comes to infertility. Like there's these different like stages of clubs of infertility that you go through. Sure. It's like weird and people are strange about it sometimes. Like, yeah, you had mm-hmm. it bad. You had to do IVF, but like I had it way worse than you. I've been doing this for seven years longer than you. It's took take took me four times as long right. as baby. And then there's the club that never have babies. And so it's like you're all going right. Experience, but it's like strange, and it's not the it's not a healthy way of looking at it. Like in no. our perspective, because and I totally get what you're saying, but like you're a badass regardless. You did it, like you know, yeah. what yeah. nine months or nine years, you did it. But sure, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So to answer your question, Erin, I think maybe at one point I would like to be more proactive and helpful and advocate and talk about my experiences more than just well I guess I mean I'm doing it right now so thank you guys for giving me this platform but um yeah I'm getting there and don't take that as a push for you to do it I'm just always interested in that because that can be I could see that in like personally I could see very much feeling like nope don't want to talk about it just want to move on like I don't want it to be my brand yeah. I yeah. Like, it was a shitty situation. It was a speed bump, and it's not gonna right. be something I want to hash out a million mm-hmm. times over. So I get sure. that. That's why I'm always curious. Like when people say, "Yeah, you know, I really want to step into this," and sometimes I think that's also like that might be years down the road, or maybe never. But it's, yeah, it's- I definitely don't think I would let it. Like I don't want it to be like the girl who had cancer. I. I do enjoy like talking about and I enjoy sharing my story with strangers or friends or whoever it might be. Do you feel like it helps you process your grief when you talk about it? Oh yeah. I mean, this is like, feels like a therapy session right now. (laughs) It's great. And having you, Brian, and like the fertility resort, what you guys are doing, like talking to people, women who are going through similar grief it's just amazing and just knowing that someone else can resonate you in a small way or however because I mean I think I am of like all my friends and my friends will talk to me about whenever I want but I think I'm the only one with that doesn't have a baby I'm just my last friend just had a baby like of my high school friends and college friends so and she was like the last one I feel like I was holding on to 
and not that they don't want to talk about it, but you know, you get in the group chats where it's like, oh, they're just talking kid like about the kids and stuff. I can't relate to that right now. So, so where are you with the two eggs on ice? Have you guys talked at all about trying to make embryos and to move forward? Or is that like not even there yet? Um, Not even there yet. (laughs) I mean, we've talked, there's like rumblings of it, but I'm not in a huge rush anymore. Like I found post cancer I feel like I really stepped into my career as of lately and Mikey as well and we're just spending our money on trips to Italy (laughs) (laughs) but and I still haven't decided you know if I will go that route or if I'll go adoption route or if I'll do anything at all I don't just I don't I haven't completely made my mind up I just knew I wanted to do whatever I could to get the eggs in case I needed if I wanted that option down the road because I to be honest like I was never somebody growing up that felt like I was born to be a mom you know I have friends who were like in high school like couldn't wait to be a mom like that's all they talked about I always saw myself with a kid in the future but it wasn't like at the top of my mind ever if that makes sense I don't know I didn't always picture like having a little girl that looked exactly like me and we could wear matching converses but (laughs) that is still a possibility so we'll see so yeah I'm not done much with the eggs don't know what route we'll do with that but they are frozen in a storage unit in Tampa somewhere so (laughs) so I want to ask one more question that's slightly different topic but it's relatable to me because my children are 13 and 10 They are of the age that at every pediatrician visit, they ask me if I'm going to do the Gardasil vaccine, which is the vaccine (laughs) that's supposed to protect you from cervical cancer. And I don't know. I don't know about this. I kind of go back and forth with it. And the kids and I have talked about it. You're of an age group that that was available. It was like, just came out. And I was, I think like 14 or 15. So they recommend, and I did get it, but they recommend getting it at a younger age, even than I yeah. did. I think I was like 15 or 16 when I got it. Yeah. I, well, that's my 10-year-old daughter at her next appointment, they want us to start considering it. So at age 11, uh-huh. they're promoting it. And I think the older you are, like nowadays that they have some retrospect, I think the older you are, when you get your first dose, the more doses they want you to get. So instead of uh-huh. two, you get three. But I was yeah. just wondering about that. Like if you had actually done yeah. that. So I had, I was over the age, which I think they recommend it, which I don't know what that means. And I, it's probably a lot different even now, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, but I do remember, it like literally had just come out. I remember it so clearly. And that was one of the first questions my oncologist asked me. And honestly, any doctor I go to now, they're all so curious if I had the Gardasil shots. Right. Well, and did you ever have any HPV diagnosis in any of that time? So, because I I did. And I was, a, I mean, I was somebody I went to a gynecologist starting from, I don't know, my freshman year of high school, whenever it was, and I would go once a year. And um, I lived in Australia for a while. And when I was there, I was even going there because I had health insurance. And right when I moved back to the States, I had seen, so I'd had HPV, like, I don't know, what's the word? It had shown up in my pap smears, but it was of no concern because there's so many different kinds Right. You know, there's some that cause cancer, there's some that don't, there's some that do nothing. So, and the the HPV I was getting was not, that was showing up on my pap smears was not of any concern. It wasn't a kind that caused cancer. My last pap smear that I had before my cancer one, I was like, I think it was three and a half years prior and it was when I lived in Australia. And when I moved back here, I just never, it wasn't, I didn't get a gynecologist right away because I didn't have health insurance yet. And I honestly figured like, Next time I go, the gynecologist, because I was 27 or 28, I'll be like, it'll probably be because I'm pregnant. So I never went to one until until everything else happened. But I guess if I had any advice, definitely don't skip your appointments. And 
they still will recommend like every three years for people, which is just crazy because cervical cancer is very slow progressing, but in three and a half years, mine was able to get from to my lymph nodes and grow a nearly two inch tumor on my cervix. So definitely go to your appointments. <laughs> I haven't had a pap smear since I started um, IVF. So it's been definitely over three. I mean, it's been before COVID since I've had a pap smear. Wow. I yeah. need to go have one, but also I'm like, I don't know, people are inside my vagina <laughs> like twice a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. So strange. But so much. but I remember my OB telling me that she was like, Yeah, only every three years now. You don't need to have one like the last time I saw her. And I was like, Okay, seems weird. And granted, like yeah. I had the same partner for a really, really long time. <laughs> like, that doesn't right, right. Like, I don't know, just wild. Now, so now post treatment, everything. So I'm still I go get a pelvic exam every four months still. So just keeping a very close eye on everything. And I was just started on hormones on an all natural progesterone and estradiol, which have done wonders. But I think them after like my two year clear mark, they were comfortable starting me on that just because I, my menopause was awful. Sex was awful. And he's like, you're like in your young thirties, you need to be having good sex <laughs> and <laughs> you need to be feeling better than you feel right now. So it's done wonders, but I so I still go get my um, a pelvic exam every four months. So I know all about people being up in my vagina. It's like <laughs> completely unfazes me now. And then I do get PET scans once a year. Is there, and maybe this is not me being naive. Um, my dad had two different types of cancers. And I remember them telling him that if you have one type, you're more susceptible to another type and the, I have another family member who that's happened to as well. Is that something that with cervical cancer? That sure. I mean, I think when you get any cancer, they say you're more susceptible to getting cancer in the future. So with cervical, they worry a lot about bladder cancer. Um, just cause the amount of radiation I had, cause it, basically like hits everything down there so that's when they worry about but I think so that after like a five-year mark cancer-free I won't so I was getting PET scans every six months now it's every year and then after five years I think it's as you want to get them have Both you ever done pelvic floor therapy since this has all happened I have Bryant and I are so into pelvic floor therapy yes. so we ask everybody yes I was doing it but I think I almost like, I think I should start doing it again now. I think I was too fresh out of radiation when I started it, that it was like another thing you had to do when it was. Exhausting. Yeah. And another like, person. And I, I was, they were doing internal pelvic therapy with me. So it's like another person in my vagina and yeah. I was still in a lot of pain. Like I hadn't healed down there yet. So now that I am feeling fully healed down there I think it would probably benefit me a lot more I totally resonate with that is like I didn't go see one for a long time a because I didn't even like know that they were existed but like after my third miscarriage that was like a really traumatic experience like I felt everything down there felt wrong I was like there's something wrong yeah. feel right but I didn't know who to ask about it I didn't know what it was I didn't know I just knew that sex really hurt that I just <laughs> felt like I felt like I had trauma down there, obviously, but I didn't know how to like put it into words. And it took me two yeah. years after that to go see a pelvic floor therapist and like finally start healing. There's something that comes, like we, Aaron and I talk about the term decision fatigue a lot. And I think mm -hmm. this is like, I think having so many doctors, so many appointments, it's like, yeah. it's, it's too much at a certain point in time. And oh, like, exactly. Even if something could be really helpful, it's also like the exhaustion of having to do it might make it even worse. Like the experience. No. Yeah. Like, and it just, you don't, if you don't want to be there, <laughs> like yeah. you're going to miss all the benefits from it. Right. If you're seeing it like a tour sorts or another doctor's appointment, yeah. which is kind of definitely where I was at. So I need to get back into that because I think now that I'm not going to the doctor every day, um, yeah. I would be probably, it'd probably benefit me a little bit more. 
that's I would agree with that like if I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't go see her when I went to see her you know like mm-hmm. yes I also wanted to tell you Ellie just I mean I've had a lot of cancer patients but your story was just again like so unique and so compounded that I feel like meeting you really encouraged me to be a stronger advocate to people coming in when they're like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just this, maybe it's just, just that. Yeah. Like, oh. I don't hold back at all to say, you need to go see a gynecologist, Call it, like, don't stop calling, you need to get in. If they can't see you, see somebody else. Like, I do not hold back. Crazy stuff happens. You don't want to yeah. rule, you know, if nothing else, you're ruling something out, but do not wait, do not hesitate, do not think that you know what this is. You may not know what this is, right? If shit is weird and it's not getting better, go see somebody. Yeah, Your story and your age and all of that made it like, I have to say it. They don't have to listen. They might not take my advice, but I have to say it. Good. That makes me... uh, that makes me feel good because definitely, yes, just go. Just go. Well, somebody actually came to my practice and then did not come back because she didn't like that I had said that. She said, oh, okay. uh-huh, she was having some very strange atypical bleeding, bleeding I felt like was really atypical. And yeah. so, in, and I just met her and I said, listen, I know that this might sound intimidating and this is not a scare tactic, but- I really, really, you know, anytime somebody has a presentation like this, I want you to know that you should go see somebody. And she was very adamant that she did not want Western medicine. That's why she was coming to me. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. That's not who I am. I'm not the alternative to Western medicine. I am here to like be helpful. Concurrently with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then she did not come back and that was her choice, but Mm -hmm. I still felt good about what I said. Yeah. You said a clear conscience, conscience, which is another interesting point. Like I have been somebody that's like, you know, I do like the all natural routes. And when I start, when I got my diagnosis, I'm already a pretty healthy eater, but went just completely vegan. I started doing like, I was doing, I did coffee enemas. Like I was doing everything in the book to try and, and I went and saw it a natural foods doctor and was doing, you know, all the supplements to try. And I always knew I was going to get the radiation and chemo. My mom was, she's a little more not into the Western medicine, but I knew with my type of cancer, like this is going to work. I did everything together. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, like it's not one or the other. Right. Well, and a lot of times, like if you have a bleeding, pulpy mass cancer, just let's get rid of that. And then you can still do all the things. You can still do the great nutrition and the herbs and the acupuncture. But, you know, if you have a gaping hole in your arm, let's fix that. Yes. Before we move on. So that, I don't know, I am not an advocate for healing natural cancer and definitely not in that situation i mean everybody gets to make their choice but i unfortunately have had enough negative situations that it really changed the way i approach it Mm -hmm. so everybody uh, i'm an absolute believer in medical autonomy you get to decide if you want to do that but when people ask me about it i'm like yeah if they can remove your cancer you should remove it and then Mm -hmm. let's heal from it and not Mm -hmm. ever have cancer again yeah that's exactly. how I like to broach that. I was just wanted to piggyback on that. I know that like from even, and this is obviously not comparing, I cannot compare my story to yours by, at all, but I have always, I've always felt quite a bit of resentment about my infertility journey because I know how healthy I have been my whole life. The food that I eat, yeah. the way that I take care of my body, the way that I move. And I've always like harbored resentment to like my friends who got pregnant, who are not arguably near as healthy as I am. Bill, did you ever like have those feelings or wonder that? I mean, it's like, I don't know. I went through like a period of time where I like was so angry at my body. Like I just like, cause I, I didn't get it. Like I exercised all the time, fairly 
you know, healthy eater most of the time, like obviously like I'll eat a cheeseburger on the weekend or a piece of pizza or whatever, but for the most part, like follow a very like Mediterranean diet. Um, I'm Greek, like I just like lentils, like I really barely even eat that much meat to begin with. I just don't like it that much, but so yes. And the amount of exercising I was doing and just my mental space was always like, I kept a very stress-free life for the most part and made sure like my head was good. So yeah, it was a huge shocker. And I was just like angry and extremely like pissed off at my body. Like, fuck you. Like huh. I have done everything right and good by you. Right. And now this is what I'm getting in return. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, like I kind of was saying earlier, it took me a minute, but then, you know, you beat cancer and you're like, fuck yeah, go body. You're awesome. <laughs> so it's a, there's a silver lining. Um, but yeah, I definitely was very upset, but you just, for me, like thinking about other things, like I get to get up every morning and stretch and do Pilates and take my dogs on walks. being grateful for things like that and not just focusing solely on the fact that I can't carry a baby either. Our body does a lot of amazing things for us. I think that that's one thing that every, every woman, if your body doesn't behave like what you think a stereotypical woman's body should behave like, I think that everybody goes through that resentment phase Uh I see that I'm not I don't feel that anymore but in the beginning I definitely did yeah yeah and it's a weird when you're you know healthy and actively doing things that are healthy for your body it's definitely a huge punch to the gut when it doesn't return the favor and I think that that just like poses even more like I mean obviously cancer knows no discrimination, you know, like it just happens. And it's, yeah. Cause I think about that with infertility too, not that they're comparable at all, but it knows no discrimination. Like it, it is exactly. Just and you know, what's like going through my journey, like infertility was never like, I had never gotten, I hadn't been on birth control for a long time, um, probably since college. Um, and I never had any pregnancy scares or anything. And so when I went in to do my, when I went in to get my IVF done, my doctor was like, well, have you ever gotten pregnant before? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, you're infertile. And I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> like, so I don't even know pre-cancer if I, I now never know if I was even fertile then. Cause I had never gotten pregnant ever. I hadn't been on birth control. And I think he, when I went in to do, when I was going through IVF, he wanted to do a bubbles test I think, where they like check if your fallopian tubes are yeah. clear. So just cause he was curious if there was something else going on. Like if, you know, did I only have one working fallopian tube? Like why had I never been pregnant? Cause my cancer was fairly new in the grand scheme of how long I, was able could could have gotten pregnant um but we weren't able to do the test because my tumor was too big but um so we just couldn't he couldn't even get to my fallopian tubes so that's also something like I have no idea I maybe I never could have had a kid I just don't know what an interesting perspective yeah it's kind of weird to think about um Erin do you have any last words or Ellie do you have any like words of wisdom or hope you know for Um, what you're going through or what you've been through yeah I mean first of all thank you for giving me this platform I appreciate it and I hope if there's just one person out there that I can make that can I will go to the guy go see their gynecologist after this or feel better about what's going on with them that is a win in itself but I think just giving your body more credit I know it like it's really like we were talking about it's really easy to be mad at it and it's and define it by the things that it can't do but it can actually it does so much for us so right. just remember that you and Erin and everybody anybody listening just you're not alone and your body and you are stronger any obstacle that comes your way so yeah well we feel the same about you 
so proud of you. You've done so much, not just obviously with overcoming everything you've overcome, but like you're kicking ass in your career and doing great things. And it's like, thank you. <laughs> now I'm going to start crying for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny how that happens? <laughs> Well, we have had the best time chatting with you today. Me too. I feel like I just had like an awesome therapy session. So I'm going to go kick ass today now. <laughs> right. That's right. Thank you. Good ladies. Have an awesome day. The Protected Space Podcast is hosted by Aaron Attaway and Bryant Liggett and is brought to you by The Fertility Resort. To learn more about us, head over to thefertilityresort.com and give us a follow on all social media at Protected Space Pod. 